0: Thanks, Helen. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. And a special welcome as well can I extend if you're here for the first time, uh, if you're visiting uh, with us or newish, we love uh, to see new faces here. Uh, My name's Seb. If we haven't met before, I'm one of the assistant ministers here at church and it's great that you can be with us. Well, over the past week or so, uh, I've been... uh, at night times hanging out with my four-year-old boy Archie and we've been getting into the book Where's Wally? And uh, it's one of the many gifts that Archie received a couple of weeks ago for his birthday. Uh, This one was from Hannah and Jacob from this congregation, thank you. And uh, we love looking for Wally at the moment. Uh, It's one of our favourite things to do before Archie goes to sleep. Uh, My wife Jess is not so into Where's Wally? Uh, She gets a headache looking for all of the little intricate things uh, on the page. For her, it's satisfying enough to come in, see the big picture, have Archie point out Wally, and then move on. (laughs) Archie and I, on the other hand, we are into details. We find Wally, Wenda, bad Wally, wizard, wolf, and then we go looking for the, the binoculars, the bone, the key, the camera, and the scroll as well. In fact, we've already ordered more books of Where's Wally from the other series as well. Archie pointed out to me, we've got a few, but we're missing this one. Well, what about you though? Are you a big picture person or are you into all of the little details? Are you give me all the details kind of person? Uh, Well, whichever one you are, this passage, I hope you've got it open before you, that Romans 5 reading from 12 to 21, suits both temperaments. Because on the one hand, Paul, the writer of Romans, gives us in this passage quite possibly one of the biggest snapshots possible in the whole Bible, a picture of all humanity, a picture of all history, divided up between two people, two kingdoms, two reigning powers, sin, death, grace, life, Adam, Christ... It's a big picture kind of passage. On the other hand, there are details galore in these jam-packed 10 verses. Uh, in fact, if you are expecting me to cover them all and you know this passage well, you will be disappointed this morning. And I encourage you to keep digging in further into the details of this passage. It is a rich one. Uh, there are uh, lots of debates and lots of uh, things to unpack. And I encourage you to pull it apart and, and, uh, and give your growth group leader a workout this week too. Well, there's a challenge for us. If you're a big picture person, uh, the challenge is to have your Bible open in front of you. It's going to be really hard to follow this passage without it. It's a wordy, detailed passage. And uh, if you're a details-oriented person, you've got your Bible open ready already. And I encourage you, don't miss the big picture. Don't get lost on one of the details either. If you're taking notes, I've got two points today. Point number one, sin and death through Adam, verses 12 to 14. Point number two, grace and life through Christ, verses 15 to 21. How I pray for us? Father God, we thank you that you graciously reveal yourself to us through your word. We thank you that you speak to us. And we thank you that you love us and we thank you that through your word we come to know you rightly. We thank you that through your word we come to know ourselves rightly too. And we pray this morning as we look at this passage in Romans 5 that you would help us to have wisdom and understanding from your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, point number one, death, sin and death through Adam. Let's start with the first word in verse 12. Have you got it? Therefore. Now, if you're a details person, you ask the question straight away: what's the therefore, therefore? And guess what? Scholars debate it. Is it pointing backward? Is it pointing forward? How far backward are we going? How's this section fit into the rest of the big picture of Romans? And so it's at last. Question that for all the big picture people here, I want to take us back. What has been happening in this letter so far? So, if you've been with us from the very beginning of our series, you'll know Paul is an apostle. He's been set apart for the gospel, he's not ashamed of it. In fact, he's writing a letter to Christians in Rome wanting to win their support. Uh, so that he might advance that gospel message over to Spain as well. And so he does so by starting to explain the gospel to his readers about the great need of the whole world to hear about this good news about Jesus. So in chapters 1, 2 and 3, you might remember, if you were here with us, our mini-series, it was called Messed Up and it was all about the universal bad news of sin and death and judgment. Then we started our Term 4 series and it's called Death to Glory. That's the big movement we're on, this journey. Uh, Week number one was all about how God in His mercy makes sinners righteous. It was a big but now. And uh, how does He do that? He makes us righteous through a sacrifice of atonement. You might remember Dave's illustration of a three meter thick steel bank vault door that opened. If you thought about it, three meter thick bank vault steel door being open for us that we might have access, right access into being right with God again. Week number two, Mike took us through Romans chapter four, where we saw God's gift of righteousness, that it's not earned, it's received. How so? By being credited to us, reckoned to us in the same way that Abraham's faith was. And you might remember his bridge illustration, we're justified by faith, the bridge was about, it's not the size of our faith that counts, it is the strength of the bridge that counts, i.e. it is Christ's work that ultimately matters, not our work that ultimately matters. Then last week, if you were with us, we started the first half of chapter 5 with a big question, how do we know that God loves us? And the answer was, we look back to the cross. While we were powerless, ungodly, sinners, enemies, Christ died for us. And then you might remember that I gave you a task. And that task was to look up the end of Romans chapter 8 during the week. And if you didn't, here's the last two verses. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here's why all of that matters as we come to this passage, it's because I think the therefore is therefore, in chapter 5 verse 12, to scoop up in particular chapters 5, 1 to 11, which is all about the benefits, the wonderful good things that come with being a Christian. Now that we have peace with God, now that we are justified, now that we've been reconciled to Him no longer as His enemy, we have peace through what? The past event of the cross. And it's that past that guarantees our future to come. And so I take it Paul actually builds on that argument as we hit this next part in chapter 5, on his way to chapter 8, it's to give us assurance. So that's my goal this morning, to give us assurance about our future hope and glory to come. And he does this by addressing, well, what are some of the big obstacles that might tempt us to think otherwise, that might make us uncertain? And in chapter 5, it's kind of like he's saying... Death won't separate us from Christ, chapter 6. Sin won't separate us from Christ, chapter 7. The law won't separate us from Christ, chapter 8. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. So there we go. If you're a big picture person, there's a big picture. Let's show the movement of chapters 5 to 8. Now for some details in our passage, verse 12, slowly. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Well, let's stop there. I want you to notice a couple of things. The first one is, grammar, yay! Paul starts a comparison statement, did you notice it? Just as, just as, dot, 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 and then, a little later on, we wait for the so also, just as, so also. Here's the thing, so also never comes, at least not now, and that's a problem because we read this passage and straight away we kind of go, oh, this is, this is not as easy as one to eleven. This is this is harder. Paul doesn't start what he uh, finish what he started, and you might even see at the end of verse twelve in your Bibles there might be a dash, and it's kind of like from the end of verse twelve, Paul suddenly breaks off what he started, and it's he wants to clarify a few things. He's expecting some pushbacks, and he doesn't want you to misunderstand what he's saying. So, it's actually not until you get to then verse 18 and 19 that Paul will finish off the comparison he started. So, there's the first tricky thing. Secondly, notice what Paul is describing here in verse 12 and it's three downward stages related to our earlier reading from Genesis 2 and 3, what we often call the fall of humanity episode in the Bible. So, here's stage number one, verse 12. Sin... Entered the world through one man. Here's that phrase, one man. It comes up seven times in this passage. It's quite deliberate. And here it's talking about Adam, a real historical Adam. The name Adam means man or humanity in Hebrew. And this first man, remember back to our reading, was given a commandment by God. In chapters uh, Genesis 2, verse 17. And he broke it. He disobeyed that command. He ate the forbidden fruit. Eve, the first woman, was implicated too. But interestingly, I don't know if you picked it up or have noticed it before, Adam is the one who's held responsible by God. He was given the command before Eve was even brought into existence. So that Genesis 3 verse 9 is not a where's Wally moment. It's a where's Adam moment. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? And Adam hid, afraid in the garden. Stage one, sin entered the world through Adam's sin. Stage two, death entered the world through the one man too. Remember God's warning to Adam, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Sometimes you hear people say, death is natural, it's only natural, and uh, that's not true. Death is not natural, not according to the Bible. Death, according to the Bible, is judicial. Death is God's legal penalty for sin. And as I mentioned last week, sin and death are always connected in the storyline of the Bible. But it's interesting, isn't it, too, that Adam eats the fruit... That was forbidden not to, and he does not immediately die. In a moment after eating the fruit, no, instead, he and his wife Eve are both banished from the Garden of Eden. Why? Because, well, what is death? Death is to be separated from the God of life. Spiritually speaking, death is to be away from the giver of life. Death is to be away from the tree of life. Death from that point on, well, from that point on, it's just a matter of time until there is a physical death as well. Stage one, sin ended through Adam. Stage two, death ended through Adam. And stage three says this, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. In other words, the floodgates have opened up through Adam to universal death for universal sin. And it's those last three words, because all sinned, that could be taken in a few different ways and have been taken in a few different ways throughout church history, throughout the past 2,000 years. Uh, But it's probably best, I think, to understand them through the idea of Adam being our representative in other words when Adam sinned we are to, we are considered to have sinned as well and it's that last point that may culturally for us be a bit of a knee-jerk uh, for us western individualists we don't necessarily like the idea how's that fair that I bear the consequence of another person's action before me Adam and uh, to that I'd say we have to, I I think this is true in our life, it's just pointing out that actually our culture finds this harder to believe than other Eastern and African cultures Uh, but we're not an island. We We have family histories, we have family genes and descendants. I called my dad during the week and was asking him after a story that I've heard before and And I don't know if you've uh, hit that zone in your life or you know someone in your family who has, uh, where suddenly it becomes very interesting to look up family ancestors and uh, family tree lines and to see where you came from. And well, my dad's been through that phase and uh, he's shared it with us children as well. And I remembered one of the stories that he told us uh, was a story about a descendant of his and he picked it up. I don't know how he came across this, but it was in a book uh, called... I've forgotten what it's called, here it is, Commonwealth of Thieves. And uh, the quote, here, there we go, Commonwealth of Thieves, you know where this one's going. Uh, The quote goes, Emancipated slaves were to join Philip's fleet too, ten of them. John Martin had stolen cloth coats, breeches, waistcoats, a petticoat and a cotton gown from a dwelling house where he may have been a servant. The son of the house saw Martin decamping with the stuff. The jury valued the theft. 39 shillings, below the capital threshold of 40 shillings. Perhaps in an attempt to save Martin the Gallows, Martin's court appearance took all of 10 minutes. Britain was through its institutions telling all such people and more to be gone. And uh, so John Martin, uh, there was also on that boat a John Randall. John Martin ended up marrying John Randall's daughter, And uh, ended up, when you, what what was it? It is, John bore Sophia, Sophia bore Susanna, Susanna bore Adelaide, Adelaide bore Arthur, Arthur's son named Stanley, Stanley bore Lee, Lee's son named Richard, the father of Sebastian. (laughs) (laughs) And it gets better. Who sent John Martin and John Arthur to the settlement? Dad said, It was Admiral John George Young who first proposed in 1776 to government there be a settlement uh, in botany. In other words, it was your mother's side (laughs) who sent your father's side here. And he added, and they've been ordering us around ever since. (laughs) Well, all that to say, decisions in the past really do impact the present. And uh, we might ask the question, well, why is it fair that uh, we should die for what Adam did? How does that work? And uh, here's just a couple of short examples to show that this is not some foreign principle to what we're familiar with, uh, to illustrate the idea of a corporate uh, representative. Uh, It's a bit like the elected federal foreign minister who signs up a treaty for our country with another nation. Well, we're bound to that treaty. Uh, or if in the future, I hope this does not happen, but if in the future our Prime Minister declares that we're going to war with or without another country, uh, that action of our representative has great impact on us as a country. Uh, or a different example in a different uh, line and angle. Uh, let's say you go to a cricket match at the SCG and it's the last ball of the match and the Aussie captain hits the winning runs for four and you cheer because... Why? We won! Now, that did not happen in the T20 series recently. It's been very disappointing. But the idea is the same. We won. No, they won. They hit the winner. No, we won. Corporate representative. And it's the same idea here in this passage. Adam's sin is called our original sin because we stand in solidarity with Adam. We're not just guilty, though, for Adam's sin we also sin like Adam too. We are guilty for our own sin as well. But we're part of Adam's family, which is to say that we're not born neutral. Uh, There's an old false teaching, it's a heresy, it comes from Pelagius uh, in the 4th century, a British monk, and it has the idea that comes out of this passage that no, humans only imitate Adam's sin. We just copy it otherwise we're more or less a blank slate and uh that is just not it's quite the contrary uh it's rightly been declared a heresy because we as augustine helped argue for at the time and since then the reformers have argued for we belong to adam's humanity and if you're losing track a little of the detail a big picture reminder might be helpful it's as if paul is setting up two domains in this section you're either in Adam, and we all start there, or, and he's going to get to this, you're in Christ. And that'll become very significant in the next chapter or two as well. Two humanities, the old one and the new one. But all of us, we start in Adam. We live outside the garden now because of his sin. But like Adam, we too are born with a will that is bent towards sinning. Through Adam, sin and death came into the world and they are like a power over the world. We're all born slaves to sin. The psalmist David will put it like this later in Psalm 51 verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Elsewhere, Paul will write at the start of Ephesians 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of this kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Well, this is a point where Paul breaks off for a moment from the comparison he started in verse 12. So let me read to you verses 13 and 14. to be sure sin was in the world before the law was given but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law nevertheless death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam who is a pattern of the one to come And the basic point that Paul is making here to his Jewish and his Gentile readers is he's reinforcing that same idea that Adam is our representative head, that the consequences for Adam's original action, death for sin, do really apply to everyone, even those who lived in that time period from Adam through to the period where Moses received the laws, even when there weren't laws to be broken, and yet death still reigned that's the proof that sin still dominated that death still reigned in that whole period judgment was poured out it's not hard as you read those chapters you see Cain kill his brother you see the flood that uh, that uh, is a judgment upon actual sin death still reigned and Paul's point is that sin was in a world even before the law was given and so, what we've seen in verses 12 to 14 so far, in point one, is that sin and death come through Adam. Well, now, point two grace and life through Christ. In that last line in verse 14, Paul writes a key phrase for this whole passage it's that Adam is a pattern, or literally a type of the one to come. It carries the idea of a wax imprint to give a shape towards something. And we might ask, well, hang on, how's Adam a pattern for Christ? Well, the key parallel that Paul wants us to recognize here in this next section is that the one and the many pattern, both Adam and Christ have acted in ways that hugely affect the life of so many others. And again, if you're a big picture person, it's kind of like both are standing in this passage as two great giants in the whole panorama vista of human history, as two representative figures. Adam is the head of all humanity that is under sin and death, and Jesus is the head of a renewed humanity to everyone who's received God's gift of free grace and forgiveness that we've been reading about. Uh, but I want you to remember why Paul is writing about this before we look at the next few verses. It's so that we might be completely confident in our future hope. Some of you details people are back in the last section and thinking, hang on, I don't think that was quite right. Come back. We want to be completely confident in our future hope because just as surely as Adam brought sin and death into the world through what he did, Christ has now brought light, grace and life. And there's this overabundance, oversupply, overpowering tone to the next few verses through what he has done. And that's something you can't miss. Paul will continue with three contrasts in verses 15 to 17 that wonderfully show us what's not similar between Adam and Christ. Have a look with me at verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? The gift, the gift. Some of you have already started to think about the gift that you will give in seven weeks time, was it? Here's the thing with the gift, we don't Deserve Christ's gift. There's a contrast. The trespass deserves death. We don't deserve the grace gift. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God comes from grace. And it's wonderful. I don't know if you've reflected on God's grace, when was the last time you thought about the fact that it is God's grace? How often are we thinking about not measuring up or not quite living the Christian life that I want to live or falling short in some area or being worried or anxious? Maybe it is just the stresses of something that's coming up on the horizon. Maybe it is that there is someone who is nearing death, connected closely to you, how often do we reflect on the wonderful gift of grace that overflows over abundantly? And then look at verse 16. Again, Paul says, how much better is the result that Christ brings through justification? Justification, remember back to the idea of being acquitted, not guilty before the judge. How much better is that result than what Adam brings, which is condemnation, condemnation, Guilty, 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 guilty. And then look at the third contrast in two different reigns in verse 17. Let me read it. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ In Adam, death reigns. As Martin Lloyd-Jones put it, the world is a place of cemeteries. And Paul is saying here, how much more will life reign than death? Well, not if you're a details person following along. Actually, it doesn't say life reign than death. It says, how much more will Christians reign? Reign with Christ forever. Those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness. In other words, it's not just that we're declared through faith not guilty. It is that we are also invited to come. Connected, joined to Christ. Soon Paul will tell us, adopted into God's family with the spirit of sonship in us, able to call out Abba, Father. But who are we joined to? As one Corinthians fifteen will pick up the last Adam, the second Adam, the true Adam, the one who Adam should have been, and what was Adam's work, his job, his task—to reign and have dominion—and that's what Christ has done, perfectly being obedient in his perfect life, perfectly suffering on the cross and he didn't stay in the grave, he rose from the grave, resurrected, was seen by many eyewitnesses, ascended into heaven and is seated at right the right hand of God, soon to be revealed on the last day and we will reign through Christ our Lord. How much more will Christians reign? So once again, Paul gives believers reasons to be certain of future glory. Is that what we think about? Is that what we reflect on? And so now look briefly at the last part from verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, stay with me, so also righteous act, one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people, now, just a side point. Paul is not contradicting himself here; he has at prime, times been this has been one of the verses where people will go to to argue, or Paul taught universalism that all people will be saved and it 's from this verse and life for all people now that 's not true, not in the it makes no sense of the context of what Paul is saying in 12 to 21, it makes no sense of the context of what Paul has been arguing in chapters 1 to 4 as well. Paul is not contradicting himself. The all people are the all people who believe in Christ, joined to Jesus' family. "'For just as through,' continuing verse 19, "'through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous.'" And finishing up, the point is this, that Paul is emphasizing that Christ's salvation will be effective. Again, he's saying, as surely as that was true of Adam, this is true of Christ. And in those last two verses, verses 20 and 21, uh, we see the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. In other words, don't walk on the grass. What do you want to do immediately? Walk on the grass. The law magnifies sin. It increases our desire to sin. And uh, Paul's going to pick up the law theme in the chapters to come. But but what's he saying here? But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's wonderful. And as we get to each of the next few chapters, notice what it ends with. Through Jesus Christ. Christ our Lord. Grace reigns even more in bringing us eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that's the basis that Paul wants to remind us at this part in the letter of Romans, that we can now enjoy that life that is in Christ. We can now enjoy peace with God presently, but we can also have certain hope for the future, knowing that not even sin or death, as certain as they are in life In this world, in this humanity, not even they can separate us from the love of Christ. Because through Christ Jesus our Lord, we have grace and peace in abundance, overflowing more and more, and it is wonderful. And so I just want to end on the note of asking you the question, are you in Adam? We all start there. But the real question is, are you in Christ? Have you been connected to him by faith? Because there is a world of difference between Adam and Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your Son. We thank you for your glorious grace. We thank you that he is able to reverse the powers of sin and death that cause destructiveness in our lives and all over the world every single day. we thank you for the grace and life that we have through Jesus and a confident hope we have to come in being raised with him in Jesus name. Amen.